Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am thrilled to introduce you to Greg Tavine, who is the curator at TEDx Fargo. Greg, we met uh, serendipitously at uh, TED Summit last summer. Yeah, who would have guessed? We got to sit by each other on the bus, and uh, we had an hour-long conversation that led to a friendship, some fun collaboration, and uh, definitely one of the highlights of my trip. Oh, nice. Uh, thank you for saying that. I, I really appreciate you stepping up and being one of the original first 25 shows on Hacking the Red Circle, where we're, we're not only talking to uh, experienced TEDx organizers and their teams, because there's a lot of future curators embedded in those teams, but we're looking to reach out to people who are thinking about doing a TEDx and, you know, what are the ins and outs? And by looking at it from so many different points of view, uh, I have to tell you, I'm sitting at the crossroads of some amazing people. So thrilled to have you on the show. Ah, thanks, Mark. What is, um, you know, we all have a, a that origin story. What was your first brush with TED? And then how did that lead to you doing a TEDx? Yeah, 10 years ago, at about this exact time, my community, Fargo, North Dakota, was in the middle of an incredible fight against a flood. And all the energy of the community, schools were shut down, businesses oh were put on hold, we're doing flooding. And I got exhausted. And I went back to my apartment after sandbagging. And a friend sent me Malcolm Gladwell's oh. TED Talk on oh. spaghetti sauce. So unfortunately, I should have had a quick lunch, had a shower. I actually sat in my bathtub and watched like three or four <laughs> TED videos instead of going out sandbagging. And I feel guilty for it. But it's 10 years since. And that's when I discovered it. And I was like, holy cow, these people have ideas. And they were short and they were tight and they yeah, were action oriented. Yeah. And I was inspired. And uh, I apologize to my community for not being out helping sandbag. Um, but that's when I was introduced to Ted. And t tell us about your day job because you're very involved in your community. Yeah. Yeah. I spend a lot of my time trying to create the community that I want to live in. And so our, our little organization has been around four years. It's a nonprofit. It's called Emerging Prairie. And we exist to connect and celebrate our entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I give TEDx um, almost 100% of the credit for why I live in Fargo. I grew up here, went to the University of Minnesota. My freshman year started a social enterprise with some friends called Students Today Leaders Forever. We spent seven years scaling that company around the country, and I burned out. Mm. I was exhausted. I wandered around the, year, uh, the world for a year, walked across the Camino de Santiago, was in Burkina Faso with a Peace Corps volunteer for six weeks, went mountain biking in New Zealand, 
And when I got home, I sent this big email out to friends and family kind of on my journey. And uh, Chad Burn at TEDxTC, which was an early TEDx in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, said, Greg, I'd love to give, have you give a talk at TEDxTC. And I said to Chad Burn, wow, what an honor, imposter syndrome, are you sure? Oh, right, that right, thing. right. But then I also said, hey, Chad Burn, if I do this, will you coach me on starting TEDx Fargo? And so in the fall of 2011, I gave this little talk called the, uh, the Unlearning Curve, all the lessons of life that I had to unlearn while wandering around the world. And then, uh, and then we had TEDx Fargo, and, and I was back in Fargo for a year. In um, 2012? I was working, 2012? 2011, 2012. I was Got back it. in Fargo, and uh, I was working in this weird role with uh, Doug Burgum. Doug Burgum's a technology entrepreneur in our area. He had built Great Plains Software, which sold to Microsoft in 2001 for $1.1 billion. At the time, it was Microsoft's largest acquisition. He later became senior vice president. And he was trying to renovate downtown Fargo with energy and excitement. And so I was supposed to go to grad school at the University of Manchester in the UK on a full ride. And he said, Greg, before you go to grad school, work for me for a year, learn as much as you can, and think of it like a leadership retreat. Oh, and, what and an so opportunity. Oh, my gosh. And, and what happened is, is when we did TEDx Fargo, um, I thought Fargo was a place with no ideas. I was always told it was boring, the brain drain, the best and brightest were leaving. But when I curated that first event in February of 2012, I fell in love with my city. Mm. We had 100 mm. people. We had a doctor and a mm. farmer and an entrepreneur and an artist speak. And the energy and the collaboration. And... Uh, I don't live in Fargo today if it wasn't for the TEDx Fargo platform because it gave me the ability to fall in love with my community, to see the best in people, to see that energy, that collaboration, that creativity. And uh, it's it's probably the most important project in my life. Listener, listen to the stop the podcast, rewind it, go listen to that again. I've got goosebumps just thinking about that, that love affair you have now with the community the 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 people that you've met you didn't know and the speakers you've met and coached and that you know setting setting at the center of all that is it's pretty spectacular so you've done i one two three four five ted x's we're getting geared up for our eighth tedx fargo so the first year we did three of them we did one in february (laughs) i thought i was going to grad school so i'm like i better get one in in july and then in June, I decided not to go to grad school. So we had to do one in October. And in our second event, Mark, we sold out our in nine minutes. And the reason we sold out, Mark, is because we only released four tickets. And everybody was like, oh, my God, it sold out so fast. And then we built up this waiting list. And then we then we resold the rest of the tickets and we filled the room. But I always love to tell people we sold out in nine minutes. But rarely do people ask how many tickets we sold. That's hilarious. TEDx Wellington tells me they sold out in two minutes. Can you oh, I believe got it. that? Gosh, shit. But Just, how many tickets did they sell? They, um, <laughs> listen sure they to the lot. episode. Listen to the episode. Um, All right. In fact, they, they've got a spectacular story, and I'm actually doing um, three shows on that because it's what they did was pretty spectacular. And uh, it's what cool. everybody does. I mean, it's not – It's again, that's why this is such an interesting – project because we get to find out within the lanes that 
Ted puts for us, right? There are, you know, guidelines that we stay within as organizers, right? Yet we need to, we're encouraged to have local flavor, right? Which you, which you've done. What, what makes TEDx Fargo unique? Yeah, I think, um, so I've been a beneficiary of those, the giants that have come before us, right? And so when I look at TEDx Amsterdam and their commitment to the arts and creativity, when I look at TEDx Beacon Street and how they're on TED.com like every other day, I don't know how John (laughs) Werner does it. It's incredible. You know, for us, we're all about the city, like the the city 2.0, TEDx, city 2.0, 2012 in October. Right. It shifted my trajectory of my life. And let me break this down. We are care about our community. We want to show off our community, our volunteer team, our professional vendor team. This is our love letter to our community. This is our love letter to our guests. Let's show off the most interesting and special. Let's create micro high impact experiences at scale, five people at a time for 2000 people. When we curate our speakers, we bring together folks in our community, the mayor, the first lady, philanthropists, citizens, artists, professors, and say, what are the challenges? What are the needs of our communities? What are the opportunities? So then we source speakers from around the country that have ideas to solve those problems, and then we go get them, right? But then when we get them in the room, it's not just about speaking on the red dot. It's about the pre-meetings. It's about the post-meetings. It's about the follow-up. It's about the activation of these ideas to move quicker, faster, stronger with a higher likelihood that we can make an impact. And we've seen this time and time and time again. Ted Dintersmith from Boston, right? This guy is a VC in the 90s in Boston, Charles River Ventures, I think he took $100 million of a fund. He turned it into $2 billion. And when he was doing that, he got to know this Harvard professor, Dr. Wagner. And they wrote a book maybe four years ago called Most Likely to Succeed. And they put together a documentary. And it's about increasing creativity in schools, all the things I value. And he calls me a week before our TEDx event in 2015. And he said, Greg, I heard you're doing cool things in Fargo. I was introduced to him through a past TEDx Fargo speaker, Jim Thompson. And he says, what can you do to help me? I'm like, well, Ted, the best thing I can do is you should come to Fargo and speak at our event. We'll have 1,800 people there. And he's like, oh, okay. So he rewrites his schedule. He comes to Fargo. He gets here a day early. So I set up meetings with all the superintendents of schools, any teacher that's into creativity in schools. He has these meetings. He speaks at TEDx Fargo, and I put him in a key spot, the right before the first break spot, right? right? right. That is prime yeah. for activation. Yeah. So he gives this incredible talk, and then this email chain started. Superintendents in the room are in- emailing the professors. They're emailing me. They're like, we got to get together. So in the break, they gathered and said, we got to show his documentary in the community. Six weeks later, Ted comes back in a sold-out Fargo theater, 800 people hear his documentary, and he's there. And he says, I want to partner with your state. Now, two years later, he's been in our community five, six, seven times. I had coffee with him last week, and he was out in Bismarck, our state capital, where he was meeting with our governor, meeting with our superintendent of schools, and they're doing an education day with all the educators in the region based on his principles. Now, walk it back, walk it back real quick. How did that, what was the spark that made the connection? 
the platform. TEDx is this luminary platform where he could come to the community, right? He's solving a problem. How do we increase creativity in schools? Our team thinks about everyone else, this out-of-town speaker that has a solution to something can meet. So we kind of get that connectivity increased. We increase the serendipity. We think about it as engineering connection that lead to impact engineering connections that lead to impact. So they're all, we're getting these meetings, this dinner, and then a group of people responded. And rather than building a committee and trying to get consensus, we just knighted ourselves and said, (laughs) we'll host the damn documentary. And we got some pushback from some people and they were upset with us because we were moving quickly and it wasn't part of their calendar planning process. Um, But the theater was filled up and we just had this intention that if we move towards action, we believe good things will happen, they will. And it's just, it's happened. And we've had this happen with like 10 to 12 speakers where like projects that were in the infancy stage of an idea scale really fast. And it's fun. Like our community just really likes it. They're they're pretty lucky to have you. You said uh, that united yourself. It's like you call this thing into being, right? You create this this event. Uh, I'm a big fan of superpowers, and I think uh, we all, as organizers, have to marshal our superpowers to be able to do what we do. What mm-hmm. of the organizing, collaborating, producing, marketing, curating, partnering? Which one of those resonates with you as your superpower? Um, so, so I think a lot about how do we give speakers the best experience of their life? So my goal as a curator is to give the speaker the best experience they've ever had in their life. So some conferences use money as the tool, right? Like, so if we want Mark to speak, he probably costs $15,000. He comes and speaks at my event. I give him $15,000. He does the dog and pony show. People are excited. Mark leaves. He goes to the Bahamas. My event continues. Our model is how do we bust our ass to give the speaker the best experience? Ted doesn't let us pay speakers. Right. So if I'm going to get someone to come to Fargo, North Dakota, (laughs) where – We don't have an ocean like you have in San Diego. We don't have Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. We don't have mountains. We don't have lakes. I got a prairie to work with. I have to engineer the best experience possible. And so as we've adopted this principle over the last seven events and as we're building out eight, nine, and ten to our tenth event, we're trying to curate the speakers so that we get the best speakers in the world to come and solve real problems with our community. And so like we had a, an activation meeting before this. And so we've got a massage therapist lined up in the green room. We do their hair, their makeup. We think about all the people they need to meet beforehand, all the people they need to meet after. We try to think about what their favorite food is. We're just trying to give them the best experience in the world. We run all their logistics. We manage their schedules. We have handlers. We want them to treat them like they're rock stars. And in our mind, they are. And two things happen. One is they give us better talks because they see us busting right. our ass. Right. So they right. bust their ass. The yeah. second thing is cool people have cool friends. And so like I was just on the phone with one of our past speakers from two years ago, literally, and he's raising $250 million for his company in Phoenix, Arizona. He direct quote, I think we have the opportunity to be the first trillion dollar co- company in the world. And I believe him. 
And he's like, anything I can do to help, Greg, we'd love to. Because we help launch this guy's career. And then we just keep adding value, keep adding value. And over time, just the strangest things happen. And it's fun. And it's not supposed to happen in Fargo. And it's really not supposed to happen anywhere. And so we're just like, hey, we're going to do it. We got a long-term view. And and we're just trying to give our speakers the best experience possible. I... um, uh I'm not going to wait to after the show to ask you this, ask you this now. Um, I am interviewing people who are in the ecosystem, not just organizers. So I'm interviewing speakers, vendors, partners. So, so that um, we give a well-rounded uh, look at what producing one of these events is like. And mm-hmm. I would love to talk to one of your speakers and have them on the show. And I'd love oh, to I'd hear love- it from their point of view, what that was like. So you'll make that happen for me, okay? Absolutely. Yeah, you're going to love Ted. He's a fascinating, weird guy. He's from Boston. You'll, you'll, have a, you'll really enjoy Ted. That guy is trying to change the world, and I'm one of his biggest fans. I can't wait. What, what is, um, you know, you're, you're a bundle of energy, and, and you're the leader of this team, and you guys are doing so much. Uh, what... You know, as and you're as you're rocking onto ten shows, what's the biggest surprise still to you about this effort, Mark? That's a, that's a big question. Um, I would say two things. Why are people so afraid when people like me, people like you, have good hearts and just want to help people? Why are people so damn skeptical of those of us that want to live an exciting life and do good things and improve the lives of others? Like, who taught us that we should be skeptical of those folks? Like, I I often get, so what's the catch? Why do you care? What's in it for you? And I'm kind of like, purpose, meaning, adventure? That's really good. And so that's that would be part of it. The second is like... Why are professors in classrooms still giving their own lectures when they have access to the best knowledge in the world with people's most brilliant talks in a you know four to 18 minute format? Why does a professor still feel the need that they should give the talk on XYZ topic when the TED platform is right there for all of us? Um, I, I've taught several college classes and I use TED Talks all the time because I can bring the best and the brightest right. into my classroom for free. What an incredible gift. I want you to go listen to uh, Michelle, who does uh, TEDx Salinas. She's 19 years old. She gave her first TED Talk at 16. And she has been watching TED Talks since the fourth grade because she's in the Monterey area. And so she, all of the whole Monterey school system has been using TED Talks for since back in the day. And so when I asked her what was her first experience, she says, oh, fourth, fifth grade. I talked to um, Kevin who runs TEDx Youth in Columbia and he's marshaled all the resources of the high schools in South Carolina. He said that they would watch TED Talks in the back seat on the way to school. So, I mean, it just, you love that, right? There's, you know, in in these 10 events that you've done and as, as dialed in as you are to the TEDx experience, what are the biggest challenges? What, what what dragon do you continue to have to slay that's just not going away for you? Yeah, raising money and selling tickets. Um, 
if we had more money, we could do so much more. And I feel like everyone can easily say that. It's hard to quantify the intangible. It's hard to quantify the ripples. And and sometimes when you're trying to create a world-class event, you need the extra time, the energy, because the margins, that 98 to 100 percentile is the X factor. And I think that's where you can win. And so when we're going deeper into this process, sure, we can get our name badges done really well and we can get our venue. But there's an incremental part of the process that you actually need more money and more time as you scale bigger. So economies of scale are reversed. And so one of the things I worry about is like I've got 110 alumni speakers and I'm starting to match them up. So we got a meet up in Chicago with our two speakers for this year and one of the architects from Skidmore Owens Merrill in Chicago who, who's done incredible work around the world. But those nuanced relationships, um, they take time and they take craft and you have to like do that. So like to raise the money for the minor details, I think so often our, our community has been built around the, the sponsor trying to get the most or be the most efficient. But with the extra resources, we have like exponential impact, mm. but I'll probably never benefit from it. And and neither will the sponsor, but it's for the good of humanity. And, and so I struggle to like, how do I articulate that in a way that people believe me? Ted Dintersmith, when he came to Fargo in 2015, he could have never paid for the value we provided. He could have never paid for that. And if he would have tried, it wouldn't have worked. You um, you talk about the X factor. Give me an example of that. In the past show where that X, that 2% X factor showed up and you just like, oh, that was it. Todd Bowl. Todd Bowl, mom gets sick. Mom loves to read. Mom has a lot of books. Mom's dying. What the heck does he do with all our books? He makes a little box, puts the books in it, puts a door on it and puts it out in, the, in his mom's lawn and says, hey, this is a little free library. No library degree, no background in education. Other people started doing little free libraries. He comes to speak at TEDx Fargo to talk about increasing literacy around the world. And keep in mind, to get a, a master's degree in library science is expensive and low return on investment. This guy comes and before he talks at TEDx Fargo, we organize with the city and our local foundation to do a build and build six of these little free libraries. Hmm. We get the city to advocate funding to put these libraries into uh, low-income neighborhoods in our community. Speaks at TEDx Fargo in 2014, delights the crowd, and all of a sudden we put those six little free libraries out and then like there's 60 in Fargo right now. No kidding. But it took knowing who Todd was. And all the things that went into getting him to come and doing all that. It took knowing the community partners on who loved literacy engagement, how to get the city involved, allocate funding, setting up the financial structure, organizing the build with the DIY studio, getting the media there to get the impact, getting him on stage, pushing his talk, and then incentivizing people to continue it forward. Todd is the librarian in the world with the more books under his direction than anyone else. He's basically the Airbnb of libraries. <laughs> and he does it out of the goodness of his heart. Oh, my gosh. Where does he live? Wisconsin. Nice. Um, like Stevens Point or somewhere near the Twin Cities. But 
But yeah, it's like those minor details. And we just have that happen time and time and time again. For example, Beck Heinrich, Australian woman, finishing up her um, her MBA at, at uh, Georgetown, right? She does her dissertation on rest, thinking about the corporate athlete, why the best and brightest in organizations get overworked and overutilize burnout high churn. So she does her dissertation on rest. She comes to TEDx Fargo. She shows off her dissertation in front of 1,800 people. She's nervous. She's scared. She works at, I think, Deloitte. Deloitte has sent her talk out to every single one of her teammate. Hmm. Now the C-level players at Deloitte are like, hey, how can we apply this concept within our organization? They built wow. a consulting module around this, and they're working with CEOs that I'm like, wow, 90% of the world knows that company's name, to think about rest within their organization. But for us, we have a speaking coach. We have a slide deck consulting coach. We book our venue a day before. We have rehearsals. We have run-throughs. We do all this small detail work so that Beck can give the best talk of her life. And now that talk's been viewed in the right places. And the idea ripples far beyond Fargo, but it's influencing corporate America. But is Deloitte ever going to write me a check for giving them this platform? No. But it still matters. The way that you have this holistic approach to the speaker and the talk and the idea that it's not just about getting into the red circle, it's everything that it takes before that. But I love this. Um, you've, you've given us several examples where the speaker is going to come in and he you have them meet with the mayor or meet with whoever the power base or the influence base, that's a better word. The influence base is in the city and you it's like our job as organizers is to take that idea, get it to the circle and then propel it into the universe. And what you've opened my eyes to is all these other opportunities you have to ensure that, you've got the right propellant to launch that idea that once it gets out there, it gets into the universe with enough force, momentum and thrust that it's going to continue on past. And you have, you've given us three examples. I'm sure there's 30 examples of how that overall uh, structure and approach, which started with you saying, how do we give speakers the best experience of their life? How, you could just hear that ripple through everything you're saying. So I think, uh, give me a sentence of the person who's listening right now who might be experienced or they might be thinking about doing a TED or they haven't done it yet, right? It's coming up later in the year. What's that one best piece of advice you would give them? So I'm going to go two angles. I'm going to go from a personal angle and a community angle. One is to count yourself in. You are good enough. You have what it takes. Because whatever you have to give is an incremental impact to others. And, and what I mean by that is with this platform getting so big and the ripples around the world, I remember going out to TEDx, the summit in Doha in like 2012, and I'm meeting these people that are like TED-liberties, like celebrities, like they <laughs> know all the speakers. There's a and, new word. 
And and like and I'm like I felt so insecure. I'm this kid from Fargo. I'm rocking a white afro, which turns out even locally and globally doesn't really work. Um, I felt really insecure, but as I just counted myself in and just said, "Hey, I'm going to give it my best, and this is an adventure." Right. right. I didn't know if this would work or not, but just counting myself in and anyone, whether you're at a university, in the prison, at the nursing home, or you just got laid off and you got some extra time on your hands, ideas are so fun. And so I would say that on the personal thing. Okay. And the community? On on the community level, I think... um, I think it goes back to abundance thinking. If you believe in good intent, if you trust more than most and you have a long enough term view, anything is possible. And and for us, we're trying to be the most impactful use of people's time, money, resources out of any event in the world. And it is so fun. Um, It's fun to build partnerships. It's fun to have instigators to change things you know it's um this is a platform that should be held light enough that there's tolerance for risks i mean mark we could have four shows and all the things that we wanted to do that never happen i'm giving you the best of i'm giving you the highlight reel but because we have a high tolerance for risk we tell every speaker either give the talk of your life or fail miserably. We have no interest in average. Like, I don't want average. And guess what? The biggest CEOs I've ever had on our stage went average. And their talks suck. Go on our views. Look at who didn't get listened to. You'll find out quickly who went for average. But that second grade teacher, like Kayla Delzer at my at West Fargo Elementary School, 70,000 views on, nice. on technology in the classrooms. She's now a speaker. She was out at Twitter a few weeks ago giving a talk. She went for it. And I think for all of us as organizers, sponsors, partners, let's just have fun and let's go for it. And let's either like kick at or kick butt and like do incredible things or fail miserable. But like, let's let average be for corporate events. <laughs> Sorry if you're corporate. Sorry. Well, it, it you know, I, I, I love how you, you know, I'm sure you lead your team with this kind of passion and enthusiasm as well. And, and people get that vibe. We, when we're bringing new people on, we talk about um, this is a premium branded event and we, that's everything we do. Like we're all in. Right. So I, I, I feel that from you. So now I have to ask you for 2017, what are you most looking forward to at your next event? So we're going to try to do 50 high impact community events before and after TEDx Fargo with our speakers. And that might be a one-on-one meeting with the governor. That might be 25 people talking about addiction and how we can impact the jail system in North Dakota. That might be how drones are going to be utilized in precision agriculture, right? We're going to stack 50 of these meetings before, during, and after the event. That's what I'm most looking forward to. I'm going to preemptively ask a question you haven't asked, but in 2019, our 10th event, we're going to try to do something with all 150 alumni speakers. And I don't know what it is yet, but I'm trying to figure out what to do with this unique alumni group of people that have spoke at TEDx Fargo with the assumption that the world might be a little bit to a whole hell of a lot better if they know each other and if they can work together. So I'm trying to engineer that serendipity of 
artists and designers and architects and nurses and doctors and professors, wouldn't you think that the world would be better if these influencers all knew each other? Yes. And my favorite part of our event happens to be the speaker mixer we do the night before because you've got these people who are at the top of their game and they they have gone for it. I mean, they are going to give a great talk the next day and they've not in no universe do these worlds collide where these different people would ever meet one another. And yet we have this venue, you create this venue for that to happen. So I think this summit of speakers is a brilliant idea. I, um, when we're thinking about, I mean, I think about bringing all these speakers together and I'm thinking about Ted Fest with all these organizers coming together and the sharing mm-hmm. of like what we learn from one another. If you had, and you're a world traveler, but so you, you've been able to see a lot of things. If you had a plane ticket to any TEDx in the world, where would you go? Uh, Trinidad, Tobago. Um, he said without even skipping a beat. Uh, there's this guy there. I think his name's Kita. And he is all in on loving his community. Mm. And he's using TEDx as a platform to increase ideas, connection, and opportunity for his neighbors. And uh, I would just like to see their love letter. I'm going over to TEDx St. Peter Port in Guernsey. So they bought the plane ticket for me, which I'm like, yes, Um, in May. And it's the same thing. It's this little island country of 60,000 people where they're using TEDx as a platform to introduce ideas. And, uh, I love, I love that. They're not interested in vanity metrics like view counts and money raised and ticket sales. They're interested in return on impact. What is the return on the resources and time to drive change in an island country? And I think for those of us that maybe aren't in epicenters of creativity or intellectual hubs like a Boston or along the coast of California, this platform for ideas is so special and so remarkable. And so I love folks that are bringing those ideas to radically impact their community. This has been such an inspirational conversation. Uh, I mean, for me, I, I just, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in the world getting to know guys like you, but listener, listen to this. This is why we do. This is why, Greg does what he does because he's making a difference. And that's, and that's so, I mean, it's just coming out of all your pores, my friend. The show's called Hacking the Red Circle. And to be able to do what we do, like you said, create a world-class event where you have the most impactful use of time and money of any event in the world, all of these things, you've had to figure out how to hack this thing. What's your single hack in 10 words or less? Build a great team, share the spotlight, love others. I love that. Share the spotlight. I think that was nine words. (laughs) (laughs) Love others. I I love it. I want to go a little deeper on that. I've been fortunate every year we've had a different team, people doing different roles. Oh, really? Every year? Well, I mean, it evolves, right? It's living, it's breathing. I'm kind of one of two that's been involved every year. And I've even changed roles and responsibilities. And uh, wow, I get to work with some creative, incredible people. And for some, it's a one-year sprint. For others, it's a multi-year expression of commitment. But those teams matter. 
The second thing is share the spotlight. It's not about me. This is all about the speakers. This is all about the creativity of our designers and our production crew. It's about our friend that works at a bank that organizes 150 day of volunteers. And we just love the heck out of Julie. She's incredible. And we just try to just keep championing hers. And then it truly is about love. Um, I happen to be Christian. I believe the reason Christianity exists today is because of a group of people that committed to loving each other. And I believe love is the most powerful marketing tool in the world. And our assumption is if we love the people that come enough, if we love our speakers enough, if we love our partners enough, they can't help themselves but want to participate. (laughs) All they have to do is just have a conversation with you and that hour that we spent on the bus driving up to the lake uh, was a chance for me to, to really get a sense of your passion. I think, I don't think the, the world outside of our little uh, 18 inches of talking to one another did not exist. It was uh, you're, you embody that love and I'm so glad to know you and so glad to have had you on the show, Greg. Yeah, well, thanks, Mark. And to any listeners out there, if I can be helpful sharing our resources, we anything that we've created, you can have perfect build on top of Greg from Fargo at gmail.com, Greg from Fargo on Twitter, Greg from Fargo on Instagram. Um, yeah, just 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 let us know how we can be helpful. We're happy to share everything we've learned. Take it, steal it, borrow it, whatever you want to do. If we can improve other people's ability to move faster, that that's what we kind of exist for. That's the spirit of Greg. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you, sir. Have an awesome day. I will. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show? Or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.